0: Right, if you would, to take a Bible and open to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, if you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 735. <clears throat> one, uh, one quick question as we get started. If I told you that you could do something to make a positive difference that would cause you, cost you no um, financial investment, and only, like, minimal inconvenience, would you do it for the good of the church? If you could just help us maybe flip the room a little bit. Um, There's a lot of really great places up front, and a lot of you kind of heavy toward the back. So it's a minor, minor inconvenience, costs you nothing. If you would, just kind of sit more towards the front third half of the sanctuary. There you go. Does this... Just public service announcement. Just pray about it, okay? Just pray about it. See if the Lord leads you to to do that. In Luke uh, chapter 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 25. Luke writes, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal this past week that talked about one interesting aspect or one thing that we learned through the pandemic. And it is this, that that children, that their eyes, as they're developing, as they grow up, Actually, there's a part of them being outside. There's a part of them having natural light in their eyes that helps them, helps their eyes develop fully. And they're seeing a lot of kids who are nearsighted, um, in part because they spent years inside, and they also spent years of their life doing this. And some of you parents are like, amen. Hear that, kids? I'm just trying to help you in your eyesight. But it's interesting to think about, the ways that that what we look at, how we look at, what we expose ourselves to during those really important years has an an impact on our overall um, health, our vision health. Now, I'm only um, somewhat concerned about that. I'm much more concerned about the ways that you and I perhaps don't see as clearly as we should with with the spiritual um, vision of our hearts that part of discipleship, part of becoming a mature follower of Jesus is that that you and I develop eyes and we're able to see the world and we're able to see other people with the same way that, that Jesus sees them. And part of your overall spiritual health relies um, back on that ability to, to go through life and to see things as Jesus sees them. One of the things that I love most about the gospel's description of Jesus' ministry in that passage I read for you a moment earlier, is that Jesus had a way of moving in the world and when he saw people, he didn't just see them as an issue to be addressed or he didn't see them as a nuisance in his life, which is how the disciples often saw them. There's one passage in Matthew where these crowds are hanging around Jesus and they've been there all day and Jesus is like, you should feed them. And the disciples were like, ah, we're not sure how to do that. Just send them away. And Matthew says that Jesus saw them and he felt what for them? Compassion. He saw them not as just something to be dealt with, but he saw them with eyes of compassion that moved him to then do something to help them in their need. This passage that we're looking at in Luke's gospel is probably familiar to you. A lawyer comes up to test Jesus. I told everybody in the first service that I know a lot of great lawyers in our congregation. Many of you um, I have so much respect for and your abilities, but I I wouldn't counsel you to, to test Jesus, even the most proficient among you. And this lawyer stands up to test Jesus, and he asks him, what must he do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to this expert in the law with a question. He says, What does the law say? How do you read it? And the lawyer responds in a really faithful and appropriate way in light of scripture. He said, Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength from Deuteronomy chapter 6, this the great Shema, this this verse that all faithful Jewish people would have known. And love your neighbor as yourself from Leviticus chapter 19. This is what it looks like to, to faithfully live into God's calling on our lives. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And there's a point here where um, if the lawyer had just been quiet, perhaps, and and walked on his way and said, okay, love God on my heart, soul, mind, and strength, love others like myself. But Luke says, in order to justify himself, he asked Jesus a question. Who is my neighbor? He had this desire in his heart that he didn't want to live into the broad calling of love upon his life. That idea, love God with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself, really opens you up to an inconvenient path of discipleship, doesn't it? Because you're not asking what's required, what does the law say that I have to do with the letter, but you're asking then, in this situation, what would love require? What would it look like for me in this moment to love God with everything that I am and to love my neighbor even as I love myself? But he wanted that clarity, and all of us can relate to that probably. We're thinking about discipleship, and we kind of want to know, okay, what's, what do I need to do to just kind of get over the lowest hurdle? What's that least thing that I can do and still be good? And Jesus comes to us, and he says, "You're thinking about it all wrong. And rather than just saying that, he told him a story, right? So there was a man that went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a really steep, really dangerous road. And while he was going down the road, robbers, as they were prone to do during this time, robbed him, beat him, left him half naked over on the side of the road, half dead, okay? So imagine that, that's the situation that this traveler found himself in. And then people came along the path. The first person, Jesus says, by chance, a priest came down that same road. Now, in your mind, when you think priest, do you think religious, faithful person or not? Yeah. So maybe you're leaning in and you're like, all right, the priest is going to show us how to do it. Priest comes down the road, sees the man there in his distress, and he does what? Takes a wide berth this way. It's like, nah, I'm going to go around. Then the Levite, perhaps religious exemplar, yes or no, yes. He comes along the same path. He finds the same man. Likewise does what? Goes around on the other side. And then a Samaritan comes along. Samaritan. Um, to the Jews of Jesus' day, religious exemplars or not? No. Um, In fact, if you were a raucous crowd and I were telling this parable back in Jesus' day and I said, a Samaritan came by there, you might say, boo. Samaritan. Definitely not the people who know the right thing to do. Definitely not the people that we would expect to show us what love would look like in this instance." But the Samaritan comes down the road. He sees the man on the side of the road. And he doesn't see him like the priest. He doesn't see him like the Levite. The difference, Luke says, is that he sees him, and he had what for him? Compassion. He saw him in his need and his distress, and he didn't just feel sorry for him, or he didn't just say, oh, bless his heart, hope somebody helps him. But he felt compelled because of this deep conviction to do something and to get involved and to move toward this person in his distress. And then he doesn't just, you know, get him to the nearest inn and, like, leave, which for many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, like, we're going out of the way. If I give you a ride to the closest place to help you, I mean, you feel like you've you've done it, don't you? I would. Like, look, I've gone out of my way. I put you in my car. Like, you know, good luck to you. But he doesn't. Checks him into the inn, takes care of him himself. And then he tells the innkeeper, here's some money. Maybe enough for two weeks. Here's some money. Apparently the Samaritan had somewhere else to be, business to do. So he goes on and he says, whatever extra costs you incur, use this to help this man. And anything else that you need, um, if it's over this amount, I'll take care of it when I come back. And then Jesus tells the story, and he asks the lawyer, now, which of these three people do you think proved to be a neighbor to this man? Do you think the lawyer was confused about the right answer? I mean, this is one that you don't have to go to seminary to understand. I was talking with a pastor friend just this week. He said, you know, the difficult thing about preaching parables is that it's usually so obvious what the point is. And the man, the lawyer responds, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, well, go and do likewise. Which one loved him with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength? Which one loved the man in his distress, even as he loved himself? The one who showed him mercy. Now, here's the thing. You and I um, see people in their distress all the time, that you and I come across people all the time that we know are in need in some way, and there is this temptation for you and I to to be more like the priest and more like the Levite and to make our way on the other side of the street so as not to get involved and entangled in what's happening there. I was out, I was thinking about it this morning, Um, I walk in my neighborhood a decent amount. I have one particular road that I love to walk down, it's like I'm walking through the woods in like some secluded, wonderful area with beautiful homes on either side. Anyways, I walk down that road and I go to the end and come back. And I was thinking this morning, what would I do if I saw somebody laying on the side of the road? Probably call nine one one, right? And then maybe I hey, it's a busy morning for me. It's Sunday. Like I need to show up, and preach a sermon. I got kids that need to be dressed and need to be fed. And, like, I would love to, to get involved in what you got going on there, but I'll call 911 and I'll, I'm out of here, right? And in that moment, I need to be asking myself the question, what, what would love require in this moment? If for some reason I were there on the side of the road and somebody happened along, what would I hope they would do for me? When Jesus tells this parable, he's opening us up to understand discipleship as more than just praying a prayer or accepting mentally, giving assent to some doctrines or truths. It is to express our faith in Christ and all he's done for us. But then then there ought to be this sense that we feel compelled to then live a life that, that is consistent with what we say we believe. Some of us could get nervous about this parable, um, in part because the, the lawyer asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And most of us in here who are good Protestants, we really lean into the fact that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and what Christ has done for us and our works do not add to our salvation. And I would wholeheartedly um, believe that as well and encourage you in that truth. But then I want to challenge you on the other side of that to say, if you believe that to be true, Scripture seems to hold pretty tightly to this idea that that if you believe this to be true, then your life ought to bear witness to the reality of that belief that you have. That Christianity is not an easy believism. It's not Something where you and I say, yeah, we believe those things, that's wonderful, and we go out and live our lives. But if we believe these things, then there ought to be some compulsion on us to then live into them. Here's an example. Um, How many of you know that, that being outside might be good for the development of your eyes at a young age, but being outside in the sun for too long is not great for your skin? Any of you believe that? Um, Any of you, especially those of you who are at least a middle-aged man like me at 44, um, you start to do differently, and it's more important to you now than ever to put a little sunscreen on your ears, the back of your neck. Maybe some of you wear hats that at one point you would never have worn. But at this point in our lives, hey, cool's out the window, baby. Right? We're like, we are what we are. And I would rather not have things cut off my ears or my nose like I see other people doing. Correct? We know that. So you believe this truth and then your life is different because of your belief in this truth. In a similar manner, you and I profess our belief that you and I, if we read ourselves back into the parable, if this is a picture of the good news of all that God's done for us in Jesus, if this is a gospel picture, then where are you and I in the parable? We're on the side of the road. We're the ones who have no hope unless someone comes into our lives and helps us. And this parable is a picture for us that that, uh, in our need, in our distress, in our hopelessness, Christ was not indifferent to us. He was not unmoved to our situation, but he looked at us with eyes of compassion, and he moved toward us so that we might experience abundant life now, eternal life forever. And this parable ought to make us think, what does it look like for me to grasp the love of God on display for me in the person of Jesus such that I then can't help but see other people that God puts in my life with eyes of compassion. And a compassion, not just that says, well, oh, too bad for them or, oh, I hope somebody helps them. But that we then say in these moments, what does it look like for me to move out in faithfulness, not away from that person, but toward that person to use what he's entrusted to me that they may experience abundant life. How many people do you think you've seen today? I want you you think about it for a moment? From the time that you woke up in your house till you left at this moment, how many people have you seen? Well, if you answer the question like the Levite or the priest, maybe you've seen a lot of people. Maybe you've seen the people who are immediately in your home that you share space with. Maybe you've seen people that you passed in the hallway at church. Maybe if you came to Sunday school this morning, you've seen people in your Sunday school class. But perhaps... There haven't been many people that you've seen like the Samaritans saw them. That there was this idea that that you see everybody, and your question is not just, hey, how you doing? But there's this compulsion on your part to look at them and to look at others in the life of the church and to ask, "What what would it look like for me to love others in a way that's similar to the way that God has loved me in Jesus? This morning we had two baptisms and one person who was baptized, Amelia Rivers, who grew up in a, growing up in a Christian home. She's also very involved in the life of our church. So many of us have been involved in her faith development along the way. And did we have to be involved with her? Was it a requirement? No. No. But for those of us who've been involved in her life over the way, over the course of her life, there is this, this idea that, that I have to see her, not as just some church member, not as just some random kid. I need to look at her with eyes of compassion and say, if, if I don't get involved in her life, if I don't help her grow in faith in Christ, then who's going to do it? We might think about um, elderly people in our congregation. Um, You know that we have lots of them. You may know that. No one in the room, of course, but but other people. And as you and I think about what it looks like to be faithful church family to them during this season of their lives, do we have to be involved with them? I mean, nobody's going to find you. Nobody's going to kick you out of the church, right? But there'll have to be this, this deeper sense of, calling to say, what would I want for someone to do for me in that situation? What would it look like for me in this moment to be a follower of Christ who doesn't just go through life minimizing sin and saying the right prayers, but but goes through this life offering our lives as an expression of gratitude for all that God has done for us in Jesus. And that is a different form of discipleship. It's a different form of discipleship than just kind of saying a prayer and saying, yeah, I believe these things. One of the books of the Bible that you could read this afternoon that really hones in on this is the book of James. And and James would say, it's all well and fine for you to say that you believe in God. Guess who else says they believe in God? Demons. Demons. But there's a belief in God that that moves us past just saying words and that gives witness and bears testimony to the fact that we really do believe these things. And we're not moving out in faithfulness and obedience to earn anything from God or try to make sure that we're okay or we've done more good than bad. It's not Christianity as we understand it in the scriptures. But we're simply moving out to do for others what God has done for us in Jesus. And it may look like a million different things. It's not going to be easy, lowest bar Christianity. It's going to be, Lord, what does love look like in this situation? And during this season of renewal, I want you to be praying, praying for yourself and for our church that we increasingly ask those questions of discipleship. How many of you know the 20-80 rule? Anybody? 20% of the people do what? of the work. 20% of people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people give 80% of the money. Fill in the blank. Should that be true of a church? I don't think so. And some of you, I look across this sanctuary, and some of you, the path of faithfulness that you are walking um, in your relationship with Christ and in your engagement in the life of the local church is inspiring to me and, and makes me ask questions of why am I not being more faithful in these areas? And then the reality of it is, is that a lot of us have a lot of room for growth as it, look, as it relates to faithfulness and being involved in God's mission in the world, starting here in this church and moving out. And so I want you to be praying about that in these days both for yourself and for others in our congregation, that not that we would become legalists, not that we would try to earn anything from God, but that we would see all that God's done for us in Jesus, that our hearts would be moved to gratitude and love for him. And we would look at each other, not as just people who happen to come to the same building once a week, but people made in God's image, people for whom we have a sense of calling to help them grow in faithfulness. And then ask, what would love look like in this moment? If I were a baby in the life of Mount Monroe Baptist Church, how would I respond to that person in faithfulness to help them grow? Teenagers all the way up to the oldest among us. And I think if we will ask that question and be more like the Samaritan who didn't just um, say the right things but lived out a faith that was challenging even to the most religious in his day, I think we'll experience so much of more of what God would have us to know here as a church. I you to pray with me. God, we thank you so much for the gift of your word, and we thank you for the good news of the gospel. That Though we were helpless to save ourselves, though that we were like the man on the side of the road, you did not leave us to our own devices, but you moved toward us in the person of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that that for us who profess faith in you would be more than just words that we say, more than just things that that we would pass on the theology test, but Lord, they would make their way into our hearts so that we would be transformed so that we would see each other and ask the question, what would it look like for me to love this person or these people in the same way that I would want to be loved in that situation? We pray that our faithfulness would grow. We pray that our joy in you would grow. And we pray that you would use us to be a greater source of your blessing here in our church, in our community, and even to the ends of the earth. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Um, We're going to have a time of response if you're here and you've never professed faith.